0: Today's passage is from Ephesians 1:15 to 23. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Oh, sorry, wrong verse. Starting again. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that in the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Today we have a guest speaker with us. Uh, You might recognize him, Pastor Andy Bay. He's been here a few times. Uh, A little bit about his story. He grew up in Calgary, uh, and then he saw the light and came to Vancouver. I'm kidding, I just added that in myself. Uh, But we are really excited to have him here with us today. Um, You may have seen his daughter at the back, Charlotte. She's here as well, Uh, but we're so glad to have you with us. And currently, uh, Andy is serving with UGM uh, in the Downtown Eastside working with youth and children. So welcome, Andy. Good morning.
1: It's good to be here. I love it. Um, ironically, as I come up here, my computer just decides to shut down and doesn't work, which is fine because that means we're going to preach straight from the Bible. If you have the Bible with you uh, this morning, do turn to Ephesians. Uh, now that I have, my, I have no notes at all, I'm going to straight up look at um, the Bible and then just preach from there. It like just shut down happens.: It's good to be here. Um, as jo- was it Jocelyn? Yeah, yeah Jocelyn earlier uh, mentioned being a dad is whole. Oh, it's like a full-on thing. I'll give you a little background. before I came up here. My wife went for a run this morning. Uh, Today's the sun run, and her heat started pretty late. So I was at the back, and I was counting every minute. I was like, oh, the band, they got to sing another stanza, because if they don't, um, I'm going to bring the baby up, and I don't know how we're going to preach. We are going to preach, but it just depends whether she's going to join us or not while she's um, singing her song. I wanted to preach to you from this piece of passage, Ephesians. I know last week it was Easter. Um, Pastor Doug walked you through the Gospel of Luke and how the resurrection of Christ transformed everything. I've been discussing with him what I should preach about today. And he asked me, hey, Andy, can you preach about discipleship? And I said, yeah, sure, but... Don't you want to preach about discipleship? Discipleship is such a beautiful um, word. Like, it's, it's, like there's so much packed in there. And he said, like, no, I, I want you to preach about discipleship. Um, it, pick a passage that you want and then come and share what discipleship is. As I've been thinking about this, this whole idea of disciple. I look at Paul being a disciple of Jesus Christ, being a follower of Christ. How many of you guys know where Paul is when he wrote the book of Ephesians? Because I think this matters a lot. Where was Paul when he was writing to the letter um, of Ephesus, to the church in Ephesus, when he was writing this letter? Most of these letters are actually written in one place. Where was he? Does anybody know? Just a hands up. Give me a shout if you do know. Where was Paul when he was writing Ephesians? Yes, in prison. Who shouted that? Somewhere over here. That's amazing. Yeah, Paul was in prison. And this is going to be very important, critical for us to think about. Why is this guy writing letters in prison? Recently, in preparation of my message, I dig a little I don't know how many of you guys have been in prison, but now that I work at the downtown east side, um, I do know a fair bit of people who has been to prison, who has sat in prison, um, who has been there. Um, What they tell me is not that fun. Uh, If you don't know a little bit, I'll give you a quick recap of what prison is like. Everything that you do every day, every hour, every minute of things that you do is monitored by someone. You have very specific time of when you wake up, when you need to be in bed, when you need to go for food, when you need to go shower. There's not much freedom. Everything is pretty much restricted, let alone one guy I was just chatting with this month. He said, Andy, 24-7, I go in there and I have to watch my back. You see, this guy that I'm talking about, full-on tattoos, if he came in here this morning, all of us would be freaked out. All of us would be scared. And he has to watch his own back in prison. I want you to get this context because I think it's really important for us to think about why would Paul out of everywhere to write a letter to the church in Ephesus and one of the first things he says is, for this reason ever since I heard about your faith, when I heard about your faith, What did he say he hasn't stopped giving thanks for you i want to use this passage especially this part to speak to you this morning as i've shared pastor doug and i every now and then we would talk we would discuss you know doug is always so encouraged about lord's love church And his enthusiasm, most of the time, also encourages me. You know how hard it is for the past couple years for a pastor not only to stay within the church that they're serving, but to be enthusiastic, to be passionate about their church? Does anybody know what the figure is for the last two years of pastors resigning and quitting? Does anybody know? Google it. Google it. It'll it'll tell you. North America statistics. It'll tell you. I know a handful. Most of my friends, let's bring a handful of them out, a handful within the past two years either quit, resign. They're not at churches anymore. A small fraction of them are at churches. But that's only people that I know. But Pastor Doug not only speaks of you with delight, he's also encouraged. And that encouragement gets transferred, and I get very excited. So, Paul in Ephesians here is saying, Hey, ever since I've heard about you, I'm very encouraged. I'm so thankful. But then he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just stop, I'm very encouraged about you. He goes on by asking, by saying that he prays for you constantly. Prays for the church in Ephesus constantly. What does he pray for though? That's where we're going to dwell into the meat of our story today. What does he pray for? Because he prays for very specific things. First, he prays for spiritual wisdom. Now, what does that mean? What does spiritual wisdom mean? You and I, let's step back. We all have certain worldviews that make up our values, that make up our thoughts and our ideas. We're all formed into shaping our mind, into thinking our world differently. You and I are not the same because we see things differently our wiring our design is different so we will when we look at the world when we interact with each other a lot of things are different we have different perception even when the same thing happens i know because this is my 15 years of being a pastor i can preach one sermon some people will be like that was amazing and some people will be like oh man that was a snooze fest all within the same room. Why? Because your morning was different. Your understanding and values were different. Your educational level, your background, all sorts of socioeconomic reasons could have affect your understanding, your worldview, your values. But Paul specifically want to pray for spiritual wisdom, Now, we want to dig a little bit deeper and find out what spiritual wisdom is. How is it different from smart people? One of the most successful people in this world that I... He's quite a controversial figure, but I spent a lot of time watching his videos, reading his books. All of you know who he is. His name is Elon Musk, right? We would think... Super smart guy, right? Engineering, CEO, SpaceX, Tesla, you name it. Turn both of those companies around when they were about to go down the drain. But at one point, if you didn't know, Elon Musk actually slept at Tesla and SpaceX. And we're like, you're a billionaire. Why are you sleeping there? I would say he's probably one of the smartest people we have on this planet. But does he have spiritual wisdom? Let's talk about that. What is the difference between spiritual wisdom? Why is Paul, despite being in prison, praying for spiritual wisdom for the church in Ephesus and also spiritual wisdom for you? Why doesn't he just pray for smartness? Why doesn't he just pray that God would open up your mind? Why doesn't he just pray Like Solomon does, I want more wisdom. It wasn't just wisdom that he prayed for. Paul specifically asked for spiritual wisdom. What does Paul know about our mind? Right now, I'm studying psychology, and I've spent the past eight months reading medical journals about psychology, about the way how the brain works, about all these wiring about all these technical names that I don't remember as soon as I forget them. Why is Paul praying for spiritual wisdom? Why? And I think that's especially fitting in our day and age. Why do you need spiritual wisdom? That's different than what Elon Musk has. Why does a church need spiritual wisdom? wisdom. For what? Yes, there's a lot of discernment in here. A lot of discernment. If you didn't know, the church in all of its history has never really dealt with some of the critical issues that we have in our world today. Earlier, Jocelyn was talking about from the downtown east side, that's more near us in Vancouver, to issues such as gender I've been spending a lot of time reading about gender ideologies and gender dystopia. If you don't know what that is, it has everything to do with the whole LGBTQ bracket, especially focus on men are no longer just men and women are no longer just women. And then all these biologists and a bunch of people are arguing exactly what gender and sex is. And I've been reading a lot about it. Because I think in matters like that, we don't just need wisdom. We need spiritual wisdom. We need wisdom that comes from God. We need wisdom that comes from Scripture. Because I know that many of us, when we read this, we go, oh, man. How are we going to answer the world's issue by looking at this? Paul prays for spiritual wisdom because Paul wants us as a church to have our worldview transformed with the lens of Christ. That makes all the difference. You and I, we can be smart. We can study all the knowledge of this world. But if you don't have spiritual wisdom, then that makes a huge difference to God and his people and the church. How are we going to tie spiritual wisdom with discipleship? In our day and age, there are a lot of Christians. A lot. We have a lot of Christians in this world. Last week was Easter. More than half, apparently, of Canada really considers themselves Christians. Which means that some of them go to church during Easter or Christmas or once a year. Usually it's either Christmas or Easter because those are the big holidays. But what's that what's the big difference between just going to church, being a Christian? And being a disciple of Jesus what's the main difference when you think about it is it money is it having goals and dreams fulfilled is it death when you look into the gospel you know that all the disciples had horrific tragic death for the sake of Christ How many of you would die for Jesus? Let's think about that. How many of us would die for Jesus? Hands up. If you are willing to die for Jesus, put your hands up. We've got a room, roughly, I'm assuming there's 80 people here, 80 or 90 people. I'm not going to make you feel bad, but I went to another church a couple months ago. There were hundreds of people in that room. I asked this exact same question. How many of you are willing to die for Jesus today, right now? Five. Five hands came up. That's an incredible small percentage. But we want to think about it. You don't have to die for Jesus if you become a disciple, do you? Do you? How did Paul die? Does anybody know? How did the famous apostle of Jesus die when he penned most of the letters in the New Testament? How did this disciple died? Does anybody know? If you do, once again, shout it out, because otherwise I'm not going to give you the answer. He was beheaded. He was beheaded. One of the most famous disciples of Jesus in the first century was beheaded. I don't want to get too graphic here because we've got kids and toddlers in the room. But think about that process of being beheaded in the first century in today's society. Think, Just think, pause, and think about that. That you love Jesus Christ so much that you don't want to deny faith even at the time when you're about to die, not in a nice way, in the most horrific, tragic way ever you can imagine, you know that your head doesn't just get decapitated within a second, right? It doesn't work like that. This morning, I'm not saying that if you have to follow Jesus, you're going to get beheaded. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is there's a massive difference between sitting in these pews, coming to church, and being a follower of Christ. A huge, massive difference. But more often than not, and now I'm going to point the finger to the pastors, more often than not, What do we teach you about the gospel? What do we teach you about the gospel? Jesus loves who? Jesus loves you, right? Not that that's a bad thing. Not that that's not a gospel message, right? Jesus does love us. That's why he came down from heaven. That's why he became a human being. That's why he became one of us, because he loves us. But what happens when repeatedly that's all the message you hear is that Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. The songs that we teach little children, Jesus loves me, this I know. Not that that's a bad message. I sing that song with my two-year-old. I want her to know that Jesus loves her. But what happens when you stay as a two-year-old and thinks that I'm the one that Jesus loves and the whole world should revolve around me? Right? That's where you and I have come to in this day and generation. Everything should be about me. Sometimes, this is why I say to the UGM folks, I know it's not like your most loving thing to say, but I tell them straight up. I'm like, hey, you're acting like my two-year-old. They'll be like, what? Yeah, you think the whole world revolves around you. What? And then they get caught off guard because nobody has really called them out on that crap most of their life. But I say it very gently. I go, yeah, my two-year-old, she thinks that daddy and mommy all revolves around her. Even the dog, even our car, everything revolves around her. We revolve around her schedule, we revolve around when she wants to eat. If she doesn't want to do anything, she just sit there and go, no, and then we wait, right? But it's perfectly reasonable. She's a two-year-old, right? But you and I, now, I'm going to make you very uncomfortable, See, two-year-old agrees. But you and I, more often than not, we do this to the people around us. We even do this to God. We go, God, I prayed. You're not giving this to me? Fine. You know what? I'm not going to donate to your church. I'm not going to offer it. You know what? That guy just preached a sermon I don't like. I'm not going to go next week. You know what? Ah, the songs today, they were really loud. I have a headache. I didn't sleep that well last night. Ah, they're not playing the song that I like, right? You hear it. I hear it. Doug hears it. More often than not, we think our world revolves around me. That's why Paul in Ephesians has to pray for spiritual wisdom because spiritual wisdom involves maturity, involves growing up. You're no longer sitting in a toddler chair. My two-year-old has a chair just for her. You don't sit there when you eat, right? You get to move around. That's why you need spiritual wisdom, Why? In order to grow, in order to mature, in order to discern, in order to know what? That the world actually does not revolve around you. That's part of maturity. That's part of having wisdom, spiritual wisdom. How do we discern things, right? My two-year-old cannot discern the difference between mommy and daddy, more often than not, she'll say, Mommy has this private part. Daddy has this private part. I'll be like, no, 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 you switch it around. But she's a two-year-old. She can't tell. You're supposed to, right? But our world can no longer tell black and white. Our world can no longer distinguish what's this and that. And then we can't tell, right? Right? That's why one of the first things Paul prays for is spiritual wisdom. Not that there's no love. Not that there's no acceptance. Not that there's no unconditional love. There is. But that's why there are boundaries. That's why as a disciple of Jesus, you should have boundaries. I try to make it as simple as I can because I know I don't have much time left. But you and I, sometimes we think of freedom as being able to do anything that we can. That's how our world counts freedom. But that's not how it works. I often work with kids and youth. And when we play board games, some of them, don't want to follow the rules. They cheat, right? And we think, oh yeah, that kid's smart, that's why. No, but in order for us to have fun, that's what I tell them. If you make up your own rules on every single board game and win every time, yeah, you might think it's fun, but that's not how socially we work. That's not fun for all of us. That's not how playing board games work. That's not how playing settlers work. Imagine if you can just build whatever you want, do whatever you want in Monopoly. Oh, I don't care if I have to pay you $200 for that. You don't even have a hotel. I don't want to pay it. Right? You and I, at times, we act more like children. But that's what being a disciple is about you grow up. You mature. That's why the second thing, and I'm about to wrap up, that Paul prays for is for God to fill you, not just with spiritual wisdom, but to fill you deeply and richly. Earlier, the band was leading you into song why they were asking God through those lyrics for God to fill you not just with your mind but within your heart that you would feel every presence of the Holy Spirit because once you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then your mind will transform. Why do we sing songs like Inside Out because it doesn't work from the outside in? Right? Jesus talks about hey, stop just washing your hands to try to get dirt off. Where is the dirt? The dirt is actually in here. So unless you deal with this, unless you deal with this, your trauma, your pain, your abuse, your hurt, your worldview, your values, what you believe about money, what you believe about the kingdom, what you believe about Christianity, what you believe about the followers of Christ, unless ultimately inside of you Is transform you're going to stay the same that's why churches after churches I've been off from being serving in a local church for eight months now and the greatest thing about that is I get to go to different churches to preach to teach and to be with different congregation and more often than not when I preach people don't look at me that's okay. There are some things that going to be really hard for Pastor Doug and your local pastors to say. Why? Because they love you tremendously. Not that I don't love you. But then I can preach and then take off. No, just kidding. Right? Church, I really want you to think about this. Reflect upon this. Do you actually want to be a disciple of Christ? I actually don't think we need more sermons defining what the disciple of Christ is. You do know what the disciple of Christ is. When you look around in your church, when you look around in Scripture, when you hear about people, you do know what a disciple of Christ is. And not everybody is going to have the same calling. Jesus at one point told this rich young ruler, sell everything and give it to the poor. I don't believe everybody needs to go work at UGM and be at the downtown east side. We all have different calling. But your role, your role in following Jesus first is actually answering, do you want to be a true follower of Christ Do you want to be a disciple of Christ? Do you want your whole kingdom to flip upside down? More often, we would rather have a nice-looking North American version of Jesus and we morph him into what we want rather than us morphing into what he desires for us. Totally two different things. So once again, I'm going to ask you, This last question, do you want to be a disciple of Christ? Because if you do, you've got two great pastors here that can teach you, that can help you. You've got small group leaders here that I heard about that can show you, model to you what the disciple of Jesus could look like. None of us have a formula and answer for you. Hey, just do this and you'll be a disciple of Christ. It doesn't work like that. Because being a disciple of Christ at your environment, at your school, at your workplace, is actually going to look quite differently than me being at the downtown east side. But your question that you have to answer is, do you want to be a disciple of Christ? That you would give up things one by one. Little by little, maybe today it's about giving up earlier where we were talking about offering. Maybe today it's about sacrificing money. Maybe today it's about sacrificing comfort. Maybe today it's about sacrificing not going out to lunch, but instead use that money towards something good, towards a cause. So in Lord's Love Church, I'll ask you one more time, do you want to be a disciple of Jesus? It's not rocket science. Elon Musk doesn't need to answer that question for you. You've got to answer it for yourself. In church, being a Christian is really easy. It is. Coming here, having a seat here, super easy. Not being connected, not unveiling yourself, really easy, to just pretend to follow Jesus, extremely easy. But being a follower of Christ, you're going to have to sacrifice everything. But guess what? A few of us can tell you it's worth it. It's so worth it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your church would not hear my voice. More importantly, they'll hear your voice speaking to them. God, what does a disciple mean? What does being a disciple mean in, in this day and age? For some of us, it means standing up for what is right. For some of us, it means spending time more time in discovering who Jesus is for others of us is to serve it's to start serving start being connected start being more vulnerable while for others of us we've been so comfortable and careful because we're scared we're scared to dive in we're scared what you will ask of us if we do decide to be a disciple So, Jesus, would you speak? Would you speak to each one of us? In Christ's name we pray.